Hello and welcome to another episode of the Abide in the Word podcast. We are your hosts, Lauren and Mike, and we are glad you're joining us again as we continue our conversation on the doctrine of eternal security. We looked at this doctrine last time. We introduced it, um, I believe, in, in good detail and looked at a lot of the scripture passages that, that teach the doctrine of eternal security and also, as we call it, the perseverance of the saints. And for opening here in our second, we'll just dig right into it unless you had something else to add at this point, Mike. If not, we'll just jump right into the, the meat of the content here. Yeah, I'm excited to get into it. So, And so... Perseverance of the Saints, we had a uh, quote from John Murray that we read last time on defining what this doctrine is, and it went, the doctrine of perseverance is the doctrine that believers persevere. It cannot be too strongly stressed that it is the perseverance of the saints, and that means that the saints, those united to Christ by the effectual call of the Father and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, will persevere unto the end. If they persevere, they endure, they continue. It is not at all that they will be saved irrespective of their perseverance or their continuance, but that they will assuredly persevere. Consequently, the security that is theirs is inseparable inseparable from their perseverance. That's great, and that's, um, that's really what we want to do. Last time we talked really about how, how the believer is guaranteed. We looked at those great promises of God and uh, how he um, keeps his people uh, this time, we really want to focus on on what what we might see as kind of the other side of that is that perseverance is is something that's necessary, and uh, that um, well, actually, John Murray goes on in in that quote to say this. He says the very expression, the perseverance of the saints, in itself guards against every notion or suggestion to the effect that a believer is secure. That is to say secure as to his eternal salvation, quite irrespective of the extent to which he may fall into sin and backslide from faith and holiness. And so the idea here, again, saints persevere, and we're going to really look at this side of it, that, that there is no security without perseverance. Those two things really go hand in hand, and, and we don't want to forget that. And so we're going to really focus on, on the necessity of perseverance and how God keeps us and and helps us to continue in the faith and that's what we're talking about not a security separate from faith not a security right. separate from works but that we're kept kind of like through faith or god keeps us in the christian faith and that's what we're talking about and that security then by keeping us in the christian faith it also produces works in the believer it produces fruit mm-hmm. that way right and so we're not talking about, again, um, the idea that we are saved and we can now go on living irrespective of that, where mm-hmm. we can do whatever we want, where, you know, kind of an antinomian mindset, you know, sin no longer matters. We, we just continue on and, and feels good, do it, right? Yeah. But rather, again, we are uh, saved, we persevere, and as part of that, um, there's a continuance in the faith, through faith. And, and by our faith, and again, through our works, by your works, they shall know you, right? Like it's, it's, a, uh, it's hard to comprehend the idea that we can be changed, we can be transformed, we can become a new creation in Christ and still not have a desire. You know, we'll sin, we'll, we'll falter, and we, we talked about that last time too. You know, true, true Christians can have radical and serious falls 
but never total and final falls from grace, right? We, we do sin, but ultimately, someone who's transformed, someone who's regenerated, you know, the word, again, it, it moves from our head into our heart. It possesses us. It's not just a mere us possessing the word, but where the word of God possesses us. It changes us, transforms us. And the result of that is a changed life. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I like your emphasis. You talked about, you said works there. And uh, we think of like the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Last time we looked at Ephesians 1 and we saw that there's this guarantee that the Spirit himself is like a seal and a pledge of our inheritance. And so the, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our, in our life is this guarantee. But what does the Holy Spirit do? He helps us to live the fruit of the Spirit. And so those two things really go hand in hand. And, and uh, we don't want to forget that. Mm-hmm. So we've got the, um, the, the definition we used last time, I think, was from Wayne Grudem. And I think, uh, have you got that there for us, Lauren? Yes. So Wayne Grudem goes to say, The perseverance of the saints means that all those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power and will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives. And thus only those who persevere until the end have been truly born again. This definition has two parts to it. It indicates first that there is assurance to be given to those who are truly born again, for it reminds them that God's power will keep them as Christians until they die, and they will surely live with Christ in heaven forever. Grudem goes on to say, and on the other hand, the second part of the definition makes it clear that continuing in the Christian life is one of the evidences that a person is truly born again. It is important to keep this aspect of the doctrine in mind as well, lest false assurance be given to people who were never really believers in the first place. Great. And, and yeah, that's what, so the, you know, Grudem's got these two sides of, of his definition. The, the first side is what we really looked at last time, that God's power uh, will preserve uh, us as Christians until the end of our lives. Uh, and so we looked at that last time. Now we want to look at the other side. and. Um, And again, the second part of the definition, he says, makes it clear that continuing in the Christian life is one of the evidences that a person is truly born again. And so we will, if we are saved, we will continue. And uh, we don't want to give false assurance. And I think there's a lot of false assurance that happens kind of in the, Mm -hmm. I don't even, uh, evangel. I don't even know (laughs) if I want to call it evangelical world, but you know, in this kind of like this this easy believism kind of you know make a profession of faith and you're a Christian walk an aisle put your hand up whatever um, that's not at all what this doctrine is talking about right the idea that again we can be radically transformed by an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ through salvation be die with Him be buried with Him be raised again to newness of life and and not have a desire to to walk in that new life to to serve him to please him right by our lives through our faith and through through our works through how we live um again that is not the view of once saved always saved or eternal security or perseverance of the saints that we are addressing at all mm-hmm. or teaching mm-hmm. and that's why again we the wording eternal security is not not really the ideal wording um True believers are secure, and we, we saw God's power is keeping us and what, all what he's done and all of his great promises, but we're, we're never secure apart from 
following after the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's, there's no security to be given to somebody who's made a profession of faith and who lives totally opposite of that. Right. In fact, just coming to mind right now, I believe it's Titus 1.16. And uh, there's a great little... little play on words that Titus has there. He says, he says about certain people that they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. So they, they profess to know God, but they, they actually deny him. And I don't have my, my Greek New Testament in front of me, but there's, there's, um, they're, they're, they actually are, are making this confession, but the confession sh- shows itself to be false um, by the way that they live. Right. And we're not talking about something like that. Right. And that kind of corresponds with what James also writes again, right? And we addressed that last week or in the last episode a few times as well. Um, you know, faith without works that show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works, right? The, the idea is very clear that if we are saved and if we can have any security at all and any assurance of our salvation, it is through holiness, through a pursuit of holiness, a desire to, to live holy. And you know, in our men's ministry study, we just went through the book Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges and he does a great job of just laying that out and what the scripture shows us, right? Yes, we are saved by grace. We are, we're kept by grace. We are sanctified by grace in the sense that we have the ability then to uh, to be obedient to God and to to put off this body of flesh and the, and the sin that dwells in it and to seek to to serve him and and please him in that way right mm-hmm. actually um that that kind of reminds me of a a quote from uh Herman Bavink who's who is one of my my favorite theologians and uh, he says he says this, he says, Scripture speaks of the perseverance of the saints in the same way it does about sanctification. And I'll just, I'll stop there because you just talked about the pursuit of holiness, that's mm. sanctification, growing to be more like Christ. And perseverance is really almost tied to the doctrine of sanctification because, because we are, we grow in the faith if we're true believers. And that growth is part of what keeps us and uh, that it's what the spirit uses as we as we grow in holiness we persevere and and endure and so he goes on he says it it, it, he says there's this kind of connection between perseverance and holiness scripture speaks about them both the same way and then he says it admonishes believers to persevere to the end just like Mm. like scripture admonishes us to be holy um he says it admonishes us to remain in Christ, in his word, in his love, to continue in the faith, not shifting, and to be faithful to death. And so there's this kind of connection between the doctrine of sanctification and perseverance because um, God is, is ultimately working in our sanctification, right. but there's also a responsibility on us. And the same goes with perseverance. God is going to keep us but at the same time, one of the ways that he keeps us is by admonishing us to remain in the faith. And so I think that's, that's kind of a helpful 
thing to to kind of see that connection there. And um and and I guess that kind of goes with with this what I what I wrote down here is kind of this active passive aspect of 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 perseverance that on the one hand God is keeping us and yet on the other hand um we're involved right he right. he's doing it through us it's by the grace of God and the work of God but it's also again through through our obedience to him that 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 is activated in that way right and and in that sense too you know the fact that it is God's work in us and that's where we looked at last time a little bit we read the quote from R.C. Sproul and how he mentions that he actually prefers the term the preservation of the saints rather than the perseverance of the saints and uh he he speaks of it and I, and I can read the quote here I have it right mm-hmm. in front of me here saints who are called and justified by God do persevere but they do so not because they are so diligent in their making use of the mercies of God but the only reason we can give why any of us continue on in the faith even till the last day is not because we have persevered so much as that it is because we have been preserved. And he he speaks of this as in we are kept in a state of grace as accomplished by God. It is not our own works that keep us saved. And so therefore we're being preserved, but that preservation, as you mentioned earlier, it's, it's being played out and worked through our obedience and through our lives and through our conduct. Um, he references the verse 2 in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, where Paul writes, And I am sure of this, that the one who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So again, ultimately pointing to that preservation of our salvation by the grace and work of, of God, not ourselves. Yeah. But. Kind of a, a, a neat way that God you know, works that. Like he's ultimately going to keep us. There's these guarantees and promises that, that are, thank God aren't dependent on me <laughs> or on you. But at the same time, he works through us to accomplish yeah. his will. And uh, again, to go back to Herman Bavink, he says this, he says, quote, perseverance is not an activity, uh, an activity, uh, perseverance <laughs> is not an activity of the human person, but a gift from God. He goes on to say, he watches over it and sees to it that the work of grace is continued and completed. But then he says, he does not, however, do this apart from believers, but through them. Through them. And that's just, I think that's really, this is why I like Herman Bavink so much, is because he just, he just takes all of this, this wisdom from scripture and, and just words it so well. But he doesn't do it apart from us, he does it through us. And, and you know, in, in a way in which we can still look at that and, and give God the ultimate glory and not, not take it upon ourselves per se, you know, we, we know and understand that God ordains the end, right? He ordains our salvation. He ordains the outcome of, of all who follow him. But in that sense, he also has ordained the means and the means by which he accomplishes our sanctification um, is Again, by his grace working in us, his grace is sufficient. He, the spirit living in us, as Paul says, gives life to our mortal body. So it, it's all him, but then it is worked through us. Through our works, it is revealed in that way, and he works through that. So still he has ordained the means, so it's still in his hand, but it's through the obedience of the, of the believer. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, let's, um, let's kind of go to the scriptures then and just kind of show this... Um this aspect where God must work through us, where, where we're 
involve uh, where 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 we must persevere and uh, and there's kind of these these warnings and admonishments and encouragements to us to persevere and actually some of these almost make us uncomfortable after we looked at all those promises <laughs> last time some of these are going to almost make you go you know think about the other way so i want you, to, you know, these two need to go together like don't yeah. don't listen to this one and forget to look at the scriptures from last time without listening to the first one and that's where again it's so important and we mentioned that a little bit in the last episode as well which was episode 3 eternal security part 1 um just the importance again like uh mike mentioned here that these two go together because there are often verses in scripture and stuff that are used in such a way as to make it sound like a person can lose their salvation, right? Mm-hmm. And without looking at the broader doctrine, the whole doctrine of, of scripture and, and how God works through salvation and all the glorious promises that we looked at last time in those scripture verses, it could be easy to fall into that mindset of believing that this isn't something that is eternal in, in kept in the power of God um, the perseverance of the saints becomes um, something that many people then reject because they, they struggle with that because of these verses. And that's something that um, I'm especially thankful for that we are willing and wanting to do here in this episode and probably why it ended up being two episodes rather than just one is to, to kind of address some of these verses and to, and to show them in their context and how they don't actually negate the doctrine of perseverance of the saints, but actually just show again what we've talked about here and that is the responsibility and the continuance of living in the faith and in those things. Good. So, so yeah, we're going to go through a number of scriptures that, that kind of almost present salvation as contingent on perseverance, as, as though it's uh, a necessary thing for uh, salvation. So, um, you know, and, and contingent kind of the idea if, there's these if statements. And so, uh, John, do you want to start, Lauren, with uh, John 8.31 there? Sure. So John 8.31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So in, in that verse there, we see that if, there's this big if, if you continue, then you are truly disciples of mine. The, the implication on the other side is if you, if you don't continue in my word, then you are not truly a disciple of mine. And so failure to continue shows who a disciple is and who one isn't. And so you would say in that one, it's not a matter of failing to continue isn't being a disciple or a true disciple being saved and then not being saved. It's more so distinguishing if someone actually ever was saved or not. Yeah, if you if you are saved, you are going to continue. Right. Uh, Matthew ten twenty two, and and there's a a parallel later on in Matthew, uh, I think twenty four twenty five. Um, go ahead and read that if you've got it, Lauren. Matthew ten twenty two says, "You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved." Okay, so the one who has endured to the end will be saved. Now. In the in this context, the idea of of will be saved isn't isn't so much that the, like they will be born again. The idea here is is kind of looking more at a final salvation, and so the the one who endures to the end is going to participate in in the final salvation. They will they will reach the internal uh, eternal inheritance that has been promised uh, 
uh, to God's people. So we're more talking about the all final glorification in that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's the the way to take that verse. And we'll just we'll kind of look at these and then we'll we'll go into them. We'll kind of talk about them all at the end a little bit. But uh, the next one is Matthew uh, twenty four nine to thirteen. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Okay, and there's that parallel passage that I was talking about. And and notice in verse 10 there, he says, at that time, many will fall away. They will will, uh, scandalize, scandalizo. Um, They will... um, cause to be brought to a downfall they will they will cause to sin and the the sin in that context is um uh unbelief acceptance of false teaching and uh but but again the one who endures through all of these temptations will ultimately be saved and uh and i think the the way to understand that again is that not that these people were saved and now they fall away but they're they're revealing themselves to be unsaved, and uh, they won't make it through the, perse- the, the persecution and the difficulties right. of the tribulation. You know, kind of as their life, their situation, whatever they might find themselves in, as it heats up and the persecution and the pressures start, and really there's a degree in which maybe we're even seeing a lot of that in society today, and I know in, our, in the American church, life has been pretty comfortable for many, many years, right? But as we're starting to see some of that distinguishing marks being made, you see some churches and pastors that are willing to stand and others who are, you know, locking doors, no questions asked, right? Just using whatever they need to, to not face that persecution. And, and there might be something in a, a form of cleansing happening in that, in the church, within the true church, right? Mm-hmm. Where a lot of people that maybe should have never walked through the church doors to begin with, apart from because they need salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe God is using that to to clear that out a little bit and and to sanctify his his bride a little bit in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's for sure, for sure happening right now. Uh, Romans eleven twenty two. Behold, then the the kindness and severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you God's kindness. If you continue in His kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And so there's this this uh, you know this kind of look at the both sides of of God his severity his judgment his kindness um severity to those who fell but then there's this warning like you need to continue otherwise you will be cut off and and these these warnings are here and and it, it's almost impossible for me to just leave this till the end like I was planning to because I just <laughs> feel like I got to talk about these but <laughs> take it away the, the, these warnings are um are the means by which true believers are going to continue in the faith. Because we look at these, these warnings, these almost threats, if we could call it that, and, and we say, oh, I'm going to continue in his kindness. I, you know, I recognize God is a, a just judge, and, and I, I, there's this like compulsion on me. I must follow him. I've got I to gotta obey him. I can't, can't turn away from him. And, and there's almost this warning that, that you'll be cut off. Now, this is, these kind of warnings in Scripture are given to kind of the whole church. 
and and in the church in the in the visible church there's often people who have professed faith in Christ who aren't truly born again and right. so there's these warnings that if you don't continue you'll be cut off it's not so much you're going to lose your eternal life and your salvation and God's promises are going to fall to the ground no 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 the idea is some people that aren't going to continue are going to be cut off because they they never really truly were saved to begin with and that, i think that's how we understand these if statements throughout scripture right could they be used in a sense even as a a bit of a measuring stick for ourselves right am i willing to stand no matter what am i willing to stand when persecution comes and to do that and seeing verses like this if if in my heart i say no i know at that point i'm willing to forsake Mm-hmm. Um, Christ, then that could be the first clue according to these verses. Then, then I'm not in Christ, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And there, there's, I, I, I'm reminded of Peter who did deny Christ, but then even came back, yes. right? Versus Judas who denied Christ and went and hanged himself. Yeah. And, uh, and so that we could, we, you know, we, we might be relying on our own strength and our own will and, and we might fall, but if, if we're truly Christ's people, remember, when we, I think we ended last time with, mm-hmm. I prayed for you, Peter, that your faith wouldn't fail. Yeah. And so um, if we do fall, we will be restored, but some might fall and, and go 100% away, never return. That shows yeah. that they were, you know, like, like Jesus said of, of Judas, they were kind of like a devil in the midst of the church. Right. And even with King David too, right? We saw his, mm-hmm. see his sin, his fall in, in that sense. And yet when confronted by the prophet Nathaniel, he, he repented, he, he returned, he, he turned back to God and repented of his sin. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, there wasn't a complete fall, a, a, a full falling away because he was a child of God, right? Yeah. Yeah, good. So again, you know, 1 Corinthians 15 has one of these kind of, if you hold fast the word which I preached, unless you believed in vain, kind of unless your, your faith was useless. Um, Colossians 1.22, he has reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. But then verse 23 says, if you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which we proclaim to you. And so, again, there's these, if, if you continue in the faith, firmly established, if you don't, then he has not reconciled you in his body. So, you know, we see these um, throughout scripture. He, uh, why don't you do Hebrews uh, 3, 5, and, and 6? Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Right, so we are his house, but again, if. If we hold fast. And then again in, in verse 12, very similarly of Hebrews 3. Verse twelve says, "Take care, brethren, that there not be any, there, sorry, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another, day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, 
For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. Great. So something that we need to take care of, right? We, we know God's in control. We know that God's going to preserve his saints. But we also must take care that there not be an unbelieving heart that, that falls away. And that, that word there, falls away, um, uh, is is I, I would imagine the word the where we get the word like uh, apostate from it's apostenai uh, 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 apostenai is kind of how it is in that passage aphistemi uh, uh, we don't need to know the Greek words but the the idea is um, it's a the, this word means it's a an action that results in the distancing of a person or thing from a person thing place or condition and and so the idea is to cause someone to move away from a reference point, to cause a revolt or to, to uh, have them mislead or to distance oneself from a person or a thing. And so the idea here is to, to fall away, to become a backslider, to, to distance oneself from God. And it, it's mostly used in this sense of, of falling away from God. And so we're to, we're to take care that, that none of us have a, an evil, unbelieving heart that, that moves away from God. And, and instead, we need to encourage one another not to be hardened by the, the deceitfulness of sin, but to hold fast to the assurance of our faith. And, um, and, that, and that's, that's kind of what, what we need to do. And, and, and the true believer ultimately will do that, and they'll, they'll heed these warnings. And they will continue and, and stay near to Christ. Right. And again, that's where we again point, especially to the, the grace and work of, of God in, in keeping us, right? Mm-hmm. Where even through our work and through um, living in obedience and, and doing these things that you just mentioned, it is still the power and grace of God that keeps us in that state so we're able to do that mm-hmm. and to do that faithfully then, right? Mm-hmm. Which gives us a hope, because again, we do sin, we do fall, and knowing that it is God who sustains us and gives us the grace and the ability then to, to live obediently and to to keep these verses, these conditions, if we can put it that way, that that we're reading in these verses, right? Mm-hmm. Like you said, they can be a little maybe even disheartening in that sense if we just look at the if clauses, if if if, but we look at that and then we realize, you know, in and of ourselves, in and of my flesh, I've I've failed at that every. Mm-hmm. How many times already, right? Yeah. And so again, it is because of, and we can rest in the grace of, of God and in, in, in the work of Christ that we are able to move forward in this and, and even be obedient in these very important passages. Mm-hmm. Just to kind of go into the kind of answering some of these, there, there's another one in First John 2 that, again, if you heard what, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and, and in the Father. And um, Wayne Grudem, just to kind of go back and lean on him a little bit, he says it's only natural that Paul and the other New Testament writers would speak in this way, for they're addressing groups of people who profess to be Christians without being able to know the actual state of every person's heart. So again, we're, we're talking to a group of people, a church of, of people. We don't know each individual person's heart, and so there's this the sense in which there's these warnings then and these conditions that are given that, that you, you must persevere. Um, Grudem, Grudem goes on to say, 
And and actually, do you have that quote there, Lauren? What what he goes on to say there? And moreover, in this and in all of the other passages about the need to continue in faith, the purpose is never to make those who are presently trusting in Christ worry that sometime in the future they might fall away. We should never use these passages that that way either, for that would be to give wrongful cause for worry in a way that Scripture does not intend. Rather, the purpose is always to warn those who are thinking of falling away or have fallen away that if they do this, it is a strong indication that they were never saved in the first place. Yeah, that's really good. Very good. Not, not, not to make you worry that sometime you might fall away. And I don't, I don't know about you, Lauren, but for me, I, don't, I read those passages and it's just like, yeah, that's exactly what I want to do too. I want to continue. Mm-hmm. I want to I be firm in the faith. Yeah. I want to honor Christ with my life. Um, doesn't make me worry reading those. It just, it just almost reminds me of how much I want to do that very thing, mm-hmm. which because my heart's changed, I, that's, I want to follow Christ. Well, and there's a sense in which looking at those verses, yeah, there's the ones like the promises again that we looked last, at last time that, that are just really comforting and assuring. And these two, like you just mentioned, if we look at them in the right way and, and we measure our desire to serve Christ, do also give us comfort, right? Like my desire is to follow Christ. My desire is to persevere in him. And so there's comfort in that, that it maybe separates that, but, you know, maybe an issue that, that is often looked at in the church and um, the idea that, it's, it's often easy to give a false assurance, right? You know, you mentioned earlier, and I know we uh, addressed it a little bit last time, of the walking the aisle conversions, the lifting your hands, the, the revival, kind of the emotional hype that comes with that, and often producing false converts, but then false assurance given to them as well. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a danger sometimes too. And, and the other side of it too is we don't want to remove the assurance of someone who truly is saved, right? Mm-hmm. And so the best thing we can do in, a, in an outreach like a podcast like this or in your ministry while preaching is to preach the Word. Allow God's Word to make that distinction, um, not attempting to give a false assurance to maybe false converts, but also not trying to be so hard as to remove the assurance of someone who truly is saved, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a fine line to walk, and where would it be? We don't read hard men's hearts, so we can't do that. And so just like this, as the quote that Grudem just had there too, you know, Paul is addressing a broad church. You know, there's going to be believers and unbelievers in their midst, just like we see in the church today, right? And allowing God's word then to do the separating, mm-hmm. to give the hope to those who are saved and, and to give warning and cause for reflection to those who may not be. Yeah. Good. So yeah, I like I like how Grudem says, you know, there's there's those who are are true Christians. We're not trying to make them worry, but on yeah. the other side, there's people who have walked away from Christ and apostatized and 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 fallen away and are are withdrawing from him and are being hardened by sin's deceitfulness and and they need to be told if you continue to do that, you're lost, right? You exactly. you're not saved if you don't continue in the faith. And so there should be no assurance for those people. And so the, and scripture does that. It, it, it makes this division. And even there, if that person is saved, but is living in sin, they still need to, you know, the scriptures will, will do a little heart surgery on that person and, and reveal that. And for a time, remove the assurance of that person's salvation. 
Mm-hmm. You know, again, we see in, in David's prayer after being rebuked and repenting, right? Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. He had lost that joy because of his sin. And likewise, even, even if there's believers in our midst, within our congregations, listening to this, that maybe are saved, but they're living in, a, in, in sin, unaware, or maybe at a point of, you know, maybe some intention already even in that as well, they, they should feel, well, am I saved then? Mm-hmm. They should ask that question. And if it draws them back to repentance, then praise God. Mm-hmm. And if not, then maybe it reveals a deeper issue that there never was a salvation to begin with. But in that sense, verses like this serve a, a great purpose within the body of Christ to, to distinguish between a believer and an unbeliever, but also sometimes to really, you know, to really place a rebuke on a believer. Mm-hmm. Why am I comfortable in some of these things if I am saved and I do desire to persevere and it should turn us in repentance away from the sins that are besetting us, away from the desires maybe that, that cloud our judgment and things like that, lusts and, and, and things of the world, mm-hmm. and point us back and refocus back on Christ. Mm-hmm. Good. <clears throat> so um, kind of alongside of this then, if we kind of go, okay, there's this promise to those who, who are truly born again, but at the same time, you must continue in the faith, well, a question comes up then, well, what do we do, you know, what do we do with uh, Judas? What do we do with Demas? What do we do with, you know, that guy that, that was part of our church that, that you know, seemed to be like a, 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 an eminent professor, if we could say it that way. You know, he was, he was uh, zealous and, uh, and then one day he just said, I don't believe none of it. It's all garbage, rubbish. And he just, he walks away from Christ. What do, what do we understand about those who, who seem to fall away from the faith? Because it, it happens. And, um, and that's what we, we kind of want to go into now is, is kind of what, what, what's well, and, the other side of this thing? Yeah. And, and just on that, it just reminds me of a conversation I had many years ago with a friend. And the comment was, you know, there was a, a, a pastor and evangelist that had come to our community and preached the gospel and just his passion and zeal for the Lord. And, and I, this was, I don't know if it was before my time. It was anyway before I was too involved in the church in, in my younger years. And so I don't quite remember it, but the example that this gentleman used was a man so passionate and so full of love and zeal for the word of God and, and for the Lord traveling across, you know, this is up in Northern Canada to share the word and to preach the word and to do all that, you know, later in his life apparently had turned and rejected God and become either agnostic or atheist, where he he rejected the existence of God. And the argument just simply was, you know, you couldn't have had that much passion and zeal that that guy had and not have actually truly been saved. Therefore, based on that reasoning, the idea of being able to lose your salvation once truly saved was something that he was not willing to give up, right? Based on his personal experience in this. And I think it's important to, to know again, even the verses that, that we read here and, and last time and put it all together and, and to see that picture that, you know what, many will, and, and we look at Matthew 7, right? Mm-hmm. Lord, Lord, have I not done, and then he goes on to list all these things. Th- these aren't just, have I not made superficial professions of faith? No. I've done mighty works in your name. I've prophesied in your name. All These, these are some pretty bold, passionate, zealous works that, have happened here, and, and Jesus himself says, depart from me, I never knew you. Mm-hmm. So just simply having great works, simply 
um, being able to to show a love and a zeal for the word, that's not necessarily a proof that you were saved. Mm-hmm. As we've been talking about here, it's the persevering, the continuing in that faith that is proof that we are saved. Yeah, ultimately it's that perseverance that shows that somebody was truly born again. And if, if they don't end up having that and they, they die apart from Christ, then we, we know that they never were truly born again. And I think we, we, we fail to estimate how, how close somebody could look to right. a true believer and, and yet not be genuinely born again. Right. And, uh, and it, you know, I know in my own ministry and life there, people have gotten, you know, saved that were, um, some of the greatest people that I thought were saved in the church. And, and, and all of a sudden one day they, they are born again and I'm going, wow, like <laughs> I would have for sure thought that that guy was saved. That guy was one of the, the great, right. great guys in the church, but it ha it's happened a few times that way. And it's, it's happened in my life a few times the other way where people that I thought were genuinely saved have just totally departed from the faith and, uh, doesn't seem likely that they're, they're coming back. And so I, I think we fail to estimate how close somebody could look, how, how great they could, could kind of portray themselves. And, um, and you know, again, the ultimate example of that is Judas. Mm-hmm. He's the Matthew 7. He did miracles. He prophesied. He was with the other disciples. When Jesus said, uh, one of you is a devil and it's the one that I dip my bread in, they're all going, well, it's it's not me. It's not me, is it? And then Judas leaves and they're like, they didn't even think it was him. They just they're like, yeah. oh, Judas is going to go get some money because he's <laughs> such a good guy. He's going to give yeah. it to the poor. They it, they didn't even occur to them it could be Judas. Yeah. Well, until after. And, and so... Um, well, I'm thinking, we forget. yeah, and, and a good example of that is even in, especially in today's social media, internet world, it's so easy to stay on top of a lot of these things, but you see a prominent figure in the church all of a sudden just plummet and fall into headlong sin and, and un, non-repentance and often turn around and just simply reject the faith, right? And these were people, you know, authors, m- m- people that sold books. Um, on Christian living, on on these things, and and they just turn around and completely reject the things of Scripture, and and you'll see that often too with even on the homosexual, um, stage where a lot of these people well, they'll still profess to cling to Christ, but also the love of these sins, which in that way too, you know, could be looked at the same way. Though they still profess Christ, their love of such an abhorrent sin as homosexuality is proof that they don't have Christ. Mm-hmm. Right, and yet, before they came out and made some of these professions, it would have been hard to hard to tell, mm-hmm. right? And so, again, yeah, it can be something that we must also be aware of, right? People can be very close to that point, and and by all intents and purposes, we treat them as brothers and sisters in Christ because we can't judge the heart, mm-hmm. right? But then, once we see this, once we see the evidence of maybe a false conversion or or that there wasn't genuine salvation do we then continue to give them a false assurance? Or at that point as a church, do we then say, well, hold it, maybe maybe you're not saved, right? And maybe not even in those words specifically, but are we ready to to maybe make that judgment in, in the sense where if, if there's a continuance in sin and a rejection of, of some of these things, and especially when it comes to the gospel or, or um, maybe what we would consider a more serious sin lifestyle, 
are we willing to look at that and then say that, you know, maybe that conversion and that profession was false Mm -hmm. and then do the appropriate thing, which is share the gospel, take the gospel to that person and, and rebuke that sin and not just continue to move on as though nothing really is happening because, well, you know, he's a brother in Christ because I already accepted him as one many years ago, that mentality, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we shouldn't let our, yeah, our, our experience in, in this way should not dictate our, our theology. And, uh, and when we see somebody that seems to have been a Christian fall away, uh, we're better to stick with those scriptures where God has promised that exactly. a true believer won't and then, and then kind of reinterpret our experience is there another way to interpret this? And, and scripture shows us that, yeah, there are Judases, there are right people. And, and, and let's look at some of those scriptures now that, um, and, and one of the, one of the greatest ones is in the, the parable of, uh, the soils in in Matthew 13 and, and Luke eight, and I think it's Mark four. Um, but I think we've got Matthew 13 there. Do you want to read the, the these, these are, these are, pictures of um you know Matthew 13 Jesus is saying okay you're going to go and preach the message of the gospel you're going to go preach the message of the kingdom and and here's what you should expect disciples here's the kinds of responses that you're going to get right and um go ahead and read um verses 5 and 6 and 20 and 21 there the others fell on the rocky places where they had where they did not have much soil And immediately they sprang up, because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Then verse 20 and 21. The the, the interpretation of of it. You know, what what does this parable mean? Well, here we go. Matthew 13, 20 and 21. The one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. So, yeah, what, you know, what we see here, you, you know, I, if, we, if we remember this parable, uh, there, there's one of the first reactions is that the, the seed is sown on the path. And the, the, the interpretation of that is that Satan comes and, and takes it away. Well, that that's the person where you preach the gospel and they just outright reject it. And uh and we see that that often happens. But then there's this one that falls on the rocky places and there's no root and and the idea here is this is somebody who receives the word with joy. They don't just kind of receive it, but with with joy. But that joy doesn't endure. And all of a sudden they fall away. And, and, and so what, what's going on here is this, this is the, this person seems to receive the gospel, but they have no firm root. They're, they're, they're not, they haven't, they haven't really fully received the gospel and they don't endure. And so this is a, a, another unbeliever. Now the, the next one, and and we should have read this too, but in verse 22, as for what was sown among thorns, this is one who hears the word, but the cares of the world the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Both of those last two responses represent the unbeliever. They seem to be a believer, maybe, but they bear no fruit. Well, and interesting, in, in both of those, 
Um, one, it speaks of, in verse 21, persecution, tribulation, or persecution arises on account of the word and immediately falls away. So this is where you'll see, you know, when, when life becomes uncomfortable, the persecutions, the tribulations, people are starting to point fingers, call you names, or, you know, threaten with death or hostility, right? And, and people fall away because it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. And then in, uh, in that next one there, in verse 22, it was the cares of the world and deceitfulness and riches choke the word. And you see both of those, right? Sometimes when it comes to a point where we need to give up maybe our status or well-being in this world, for many, that's when they depart the church, when it becomes uncomfortable in that way. So really, it's, it's the desires of the, the material things, right, yeah. that, that draw people away from the church or persecution and tribulation. So it's either times of good, the things, the, the wealth of the world can draw people away from the church or even in times that are bad, persecution, suffering, tribulation, right? Yeah. Both of those can play a role in revealing, again, who the believer is. Yeah. And the, the true believer, in the, of course, in the next verse is the one who hears the word, understands it, and indeed bears fruit and yields in, you know, in one case, 100 and another 60 and another 30. And, and so a true believer... Jesus says, when you go and preach the gospel, some people will truly believe they're going to be regenerated and they're going to, they're going to bear the kind of fruit that, that lasts. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's the encouraging side, but, but don't forget that there's going to be people that, that really what's happening here is they don't, they don't love Christ enough. They don't, they don't see him for who he is to such an extent that they're willing to, to give their life for him, give up the world, give up the comfort. And, um, you know, it, it reminds me of, of the, the guy in Pilgrim's Progress who, who was all good with religion as, and, and he had, um, I, he said it like something like, um, as long as it came in, in the silver slippers, <laughs> but when, when the, when religion kind of didn't come along with all those comforts of the world, they, this guy kind of gave it all up. Right. So, um, so, so, you know, we see this kind of falling away but what jesus is saying here is that the these people were never really true believers to begin with now that leads us to one that you really wanted us to look at lauren is mm-hmm. hebrews chapter six and hebrews chapter six and that's one and anyone who's listening to this podcast and has dealt with this doctrine i'm sure has also had to look at this passage and deal with it but it's definitely one where I can speak of culturally even for myself and for many in our community and in, in this area, and, and hopefully that end up listening to this and are encouraged by these episodes. But Hebrews 6 is one, you know, it's kind of the go-to for people that hold fast to the doctrine that you can lose your salvation, mm-hmm. right? And so for many, it's kind of approached in such a way where Hebrews 6 is ignored if I can put it that way, by, by people who hold to eternal security because mm-hmm. we don't necessarily know how to properly handle it and deal with it, right? So, so we'll look at all the verses that we referenced in episode one, all the promises, right? God keeps us to the end. We are, we are saved to the end. We will overcome We're, all those verses, all the promises. We cling to those and, and just try to hope that they kind of, you know, tilt the scales in our, in our favor because passages like this, what do we do with it, right? And this is a passage that I know for myself too. I've I've listened to 
different teachings and, and readings on it and studies on it as, as we work through it. How do we answer it? And so, yes, for that reason, um, this was one that I'm, I'm very thankful for that we have in here. And I think it even kind of maybe thumbs up, wraps up that, that portion in, in, in a way to really help us to see that. And, and I look forward to, uh, to having you work through it here with, for us today. Great. Let's, let's, uh, let's start by reading the first seven or eight verses there, maybe the first eight verses, and then we'll, we'll kind of go from there. We'll start in verse four. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. Okay, great. So, what 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 I think really helps us to understand this passage in the first place is just to remember what what's going on with these Hebrew believers and remember what what had happened here is is they have you know they were Hebrews they were they were Jews uh, whether where where they were exactly Rome or Italy or wherever it doesn't necessarily matter but they're they're Jews and they're tempted because of persecution. They're tempted to go back to Moses. So they know about Christ and his sacrifice and his blood spilt. And they know that, that everything that, that Moses prophesied and told about was a, a pointing to Christ. But now they're going to be persecuted for being a Christian, but they wouldn't be persecuted for being a Jew. And so they want to go back, or, or there's a, a temptation in the church to, to go back to Judaism and, and really to deny Christ. And what the author of Hebrew does, I think there's five really strong warning passages throughout the book. And so as the, the author of Hebrews is kind of working through that Christ is better than the angels and Moses and, and, the, and the, the, the old covenant and all of, the, all of the riches that we have in Christ, he stops at different times and he warns them, don't go back to what is less than Christ because if you do, you're, you're going to lose everything that Moses pointed forward to. Now, just think about that for a minute. Like, so Lauren, you know, you're a, a believer in Christ. Let's pretend you were a Jew and you used to, you used to sacrifice lambs. Mm-hmm. Like, can you imagine, I'm going to just forget about Christ. I'm going to go and kill lambs for the forgiveness of my sins. Like, right. <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. Like, are you, are you kidding me? Like, if you yeah. if you did that, Lauren, I, I, like, are you kidding me, Lauren? Like, <laughs> Christ shed, he, God the Son came to earth, shed his blood, and you're going to go and, and go to the shadow of things? No, 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 no. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, if that's you, it's going to be impossible to renew you to repentance. It's, it's going to be impossible to bring you back. And, and he gives these five... Um, the grammar here, five participles, and I don't even know if I'll be able to pull them out off the top of my head, but it's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have t- 
tasted the heavenly gift. They shared in the, the Holy Spirit, that's three, tasted the goodness of the word and the powers of the age to come and falling away. Those, those five participles kind of work together. The, these are the description of this person. They've, they've been enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift, shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the word and the power of the age to come and, and falling away. It's impossible to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. So those five things describe this person. Now, Wayne Grudem does a good job, and, and I'm just going to really lean on him here as he kind of works through this passage. He says this, quote, At this point, we may ask, what kind of person is described by all these terms? Does this text describe a person who has been genuinely born again? These people, these are no doubt people who have been affiliated closely with the fellowship of the church. They've had some sorrow for sin, repentance. They have clearly understood the gospel. They've been enlightened. He goes on to say, perhaps using some spiritual gifts in the manner of the unbelievers in Matthew 7.22. They've been exposed to the true preaching of the word and have appreciated much of its teachings. They have tasted the goodness of the word of God. But in spite of all this, if they commit apostasy, if they, if they fall away, that's that word apostasy, if they fall away, then they are willfully rejecting all of these blessings and turning decidedly against them. The author tells us that if this occurs, it will be impossible to restore these people again to any kind of repentance or sorrow for sin. Their hearts will be hardened and their consciences calloused. Their repeated familiarity with the things of God and their experience of many influences of the Holy Spirit has simply served to harden them against conversion. Uh, he goes on to say that it's it's clear that some in the community were um, were in danger of falling away in just such a manner. And the author wants to warn them that though they've participated in the fellowship of the church and experienced the number of God's blessings in their lives, yet if they fall away after that, there is no salvation for them. He wants to use the strongest language possible to say, here's how far a person can come in experiencing temporary blessings and still not be saved. Now, he says, again, he goes on to say, this does not imply that he thinks true Christians could fall away. He says, Hebrews 3.14 implies quite the opposite. And I'll get you to read that in just one minute. But he, he wants them to gain assurance of salvation through their continuing faith, and thereby implies that if they fall away, it would show that they were never Christ's people in the first place. Now, what does is, what is Hebrews uh, 3.14 say, Lauren? It says, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Okay, so um, implies there that, that true Christians aren't going to fall away. Um, now, immediately after he kind of gives this this warning to the people, he gives that illustration about the land that drinks in the rain that falls on it. And it, it produces a useful crop. And that land receives a blessing from God. But then he says, if the land bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless, worthless, near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. And so there's this illustration here of the land. You know, the, the, it's the same land 
Some of it bears good fruit. Some of it bears bad fruit. If it bears bad fruit, it's going to go, it, it's going to go to hell. If it bears good fruit, then that's, that's good, right? Um, and, and so it's, it's very similar then here to the parable of the soils. We're, we're kind of talking about the, there's the, the, the word of God has gone forth. Uh, some of it bears good fruit. Some of it bears bad fruit. If it doesn't bear good fruit, then it's not a, a good tree. It's, in other words, it's not born again. Yeah. And, um, and that's what he does, actually, if you just keep reading. Uh, why don't you read now, Lauren, verses 9 till, um, uh, what is it, 12? Yeah, 9 to 12. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So he, he, he gives them this strong warning, and, and I should just point out here that Grudem, Grudem kind of brings this out as well. He says, he says that it's not like, and, and this is just kind of a paraphrase, but Grudem says, it doesn't say there in verse 7 and 8 that, that they once bore good fruit, but now they, they no longer do. It's, it's that they've never borne good fruit. And so if, if, the, if the ground produces thorns and thistles, it's, it's not really a true believer. And then he, after this warning, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. And then he says, things that belong to salvation. In other words, the, the things that I was just talking about aren't things that belong to salvation. But in your case, I'm, I'm confident, I, I have hope that, that things that belong to salvation belong to you. And so he, yeah, go ahead, Lauren. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, and, and just thinking of this here, in verse 4, for it is impossible for those who have been enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift, shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, are those things then in reference to the rain that has fallen on the land that, that produces good crop um, in the sense where these, the rain falls on the lands that produces good crops, but also that produces the thorns and thistles, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The rains, the blessings that shower over top of the land, that's the same, but what it produces is evidence of the soil. Yeah, good. And likewise, the enlightenment, the, the tasting of these things, the believers and unbelievers are both sitting under the preaching of God's word. They're both sitting and maybe even partaking in the Lord's Supper and baptisms, the blessings of the grace of God and the ordinances of God that he has given to the church. They're both sitting under it. They've tasted it. But it's not the, again, the blessings that, that are different as much as the soil or the hearts that receive those blessings. Is that the distinction? Yeah, I think so. That the writer's making here? with those two verses, seven and eight, um, coming after four, five, and six? Yeah, I think, I think that's exactly right. And, and that actually reminds me of what Jesus says. Often he says something like, take heed how you hear. And so, in, in other words, make sure that it, it bears fruit in your life. So you, mm-hmm. you're, you're getting all of these blessings, but are you bearing thorns and thistles, or are you bearing... And, and of course, if you're going to turn away from Christ... You're bearing thorns and thistles, but right. if you're if you're going to continue, then that's that's the that's the good fruit, 
And so he says, we, we are sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. Now, Wayne Grudem, kind of picking up from him again, he says, but the question is, better things than what? The plural, better things, forms an appropriate contrast to the good things that, we have, been mentioned, that have been mentioned in verses 4 to 6. The author is convinced that most of his readers have experienced <coughs> better things than simply the partial and temporary influences of the Spirit and the Church talked about in verses 4 to 6. In fact, the author talks about these things by saying literally that they are better things also holding fast salvation. These are not only the temporary blessings talked about in verses 4 to 6, but these are better things, things having not only a temporary influence, but also holding fast to salvation. In this way, the Greek word chi, which is the word that means and or also, shows that salvation is something that was not part of the things mentioned in verses 4 to 6 above. Therefore, this word chi, which is not explicitly translated in the the RSV or the NIV, but he says that the NASB comes close, provides a crucial key for understanding the passage. And that's kind of the end of, of Wayne, Grudem, Wayne Grudem's quote. Um, he also says, so, and again, the ESV too doesn't, doesn't really bring out that and, but we feel sure of better things. I think we, we can get that even without noticing the also there. But Grudem goes on to say he he can also show by saying things that belong to salvation, he can also show that he can use a brief phrase to say that people have salvation if he wishes to do so. He doesn't need to pile up many phrases. He doesn't need to say they they tasted and they've they've fallen away and they've been enlightened and 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 um all he doesn't need to use all of those things. He could just say if he wanted to, they were saved. And so um I think that's a, a helpful kind of understanding of the passage. Do you have any mm-hmm. any other thoughts or questions on that? No, I think that helps put it into perspective and light and, and to help people to see that there is a different interpretation other than the uh, strict adherence to an idea that, no, these are truly born-again believers. And it's in good placement, too, even in these two podcasts and these episodes where even preceding this, we we look at the many verses and how they kind of distinguish between this is evidence of if you're saved or not the the if clauses the um the perseverance is the sign of salvation and then leading into this it helps us to to understand that so what does this verse then mean rather than starting from a standpoint that nope it means you can lose your salvation mm-hmm. therefore all these other passages mean something else so now it gives us the opportunity to come into it and to see that it does make sense. And, and in fact, it makes even more sense in light of all these other scriptures that we've looked at, the promise, the, the guarantee of uh, perseverance and also the necessity of perseverance and the continuing in the faith and then looking and now seeing in this context how this passage actually applies and what it intended, right? Yeah. And so these people have come very close. Remember, apostasy there means that they've been there, they've, they've kind of seen it, but now they're moving away from it. And uh, that's showing again. And and even there, if I can just quickly uh, interject here with apostasy, um, it gives us a, a sense of, of, like you say, coming close, but more so running in parallel lines rather than intersecting, right? Where not someone who was in the faith, but someone who was very close to it. They were so close to it in a, in a parallel fashion and then fell away. 
rather than to where they actually intersected with salvation, where they were saved and then fell away. Yeah. That's kind of the, the image that we get from the term apostasy, right? The falling away is someone who was running right parallel to it, but not actually in it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the best way to understand that, that word fall away there. And that, that goes with, and, and we really shouldn't do something like this without going to Matthew chapter seven and and we've we've even mentioned it already a few times, but let's look at Matthew seven, twenty one to twenty three. Yeah, go ahead, yeah. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So here's these people, and, and they're not just calling Jesus <coughs> Lord. It's not just some shallow profession of faith. It's, it's Lord, Lord. There's some emphasis there. Um, they've, they've, they believe that they've done many things. Now, whether they did them or not, uh, we prophesied, they cast out demons, they performed many miracles. They seem to think that they, they actually did do those things. And I think if we think about who would this be in the Gospel of Matthew, it's, it's off, again, it's Judas. He, he probably did prophesy. He probably did cast out demons. He probably did do miracles and even many miracles, and he did them in Jesus' name. But he, he never really was known by the Lord. And what, what, what characterized him is this practice of lawlessness. And so that's what, that's what we see in these people. They, they, they don't do the will of the Father. They're not living the life of the new birth that we see in the Sermon on the Mount. And so um, they, they, they kind of profess him, but in their works, by their works, they, they end up denying him. Even if they do all these special little works, they don't do the, the works of, of righteousness and holiness that Jesus is talking about, that if you don't have that righteousness, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, it's important to note here that Jesus says, I never knew you. He doesn't right. say, I knew you, and then I forgot about you, and then I knew you, and then I forgot yeah. about you. I, I never knew you. Th- these people were never truly saved. They were, uh, if we go a little bit earlier, they were the bad tree. Yeah. Uh, a good tree bears good fruit, bad tree bears bad fruit. They were the bad tree. They never entered at the narrow gate. And uh, he never knew them. Well, and it's as we used this uh, earlier in the episode as well, right, where we talked about uh, how close someone can get and how much they can actually look like they are, right? We look at the language here. We prophesy in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We do many mighty works in your name. And yet his response, I never knew you, mm-hmm. right? It goes to show again how much someone can look like they're saved, how much someone can look like that person in Hebrews 6 who tasted, who, who had all these experiences, mm-hmm. but were never in salvation, were never in Christ. Yeah. And that's when we, when we talk about assurance, maybe, maybe even next time we'll, we'll kind of, what are the things we look to for assurance? Right. Don't look to, you know, miracles. Don't look to what, great things you think you've done for the Lord. Look, look to the transformation of life, holiness, righteousness. Um, 
uh, very, very important that we don't base our assurance of salvation on the wrong things. Right. I want to read a quote from John Murray. He says this. He says, The scripture itself, therefore, leads us to the conclusion that it is possible to have very uplifting, ennobling, reforming, and exhilarating experience of the power and truth of the gospel to come into such close contact with the supernatural forces which are operative in God's kingdom of grace that these forces produce effects in us which to human observation are hardly distinguishable from those produced by God's regenerating and sanctifying grace and yet be not partakers of Christ and heirs of eternal life. And so John Murray's saying we can come very close. The scripture shows us we can be very, very close and almost to the, to the external eye, you can't tell the difference between a, a truly born again passionate person or a passionate person that's not truly born again. And, 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 I, and I think the scripture shows us that and these verses that we've looked at show us that. Uh, Murray says again, a, a doctrine of perseverance which fails to take account of such a possibility and of its actuality in certain cases is a distorted one and ministers to a laxity which is quite contrary to the interests of perseverance. Indeed, it is not the doctrine of perseverance at all. And so we should hear scriptures like that and we should beware of uh, a laxity in ourselves that we, we, we're, we're not really concerned to persevere in the faith. Um, we need to persevere and we hear these verses and, and we should heed them and true believers will heed them and they'll continue in the faith. And, and I think that leads us to yeah, 1 John 2, 18 and 19, which I think just summarizes this whole thing so well. Well, and it's a verse that on the topic that we're talking about, I think we would be really remiss to, to leave it out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Apostle John writes chapter 2, verse 18 and 19. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Yeah, and, and there we see there's these people that were, they were with John and the apostles, but they, they departed. They departed from the faith. They, they went out. And the reason they went out is to show that they weren't really of us. And, uh, and I think that really just summarizes it very, very well. They weren't of us. They, they never were truly believers. And uh, by departing from the faith, they just go on to show it. Now, um, again, just to kind of close with uh, Herman Bavink again, uh, he says this, he says, talking about these examples in scripture of of apostasy and he says as for the examples of scripture uh, sorry as for the examples scripture is said to cite as instances of real apostasy it is impossible to prove that these persons one either had truly received the grace of regeneration 
and he points to the case of Hymenaeus and Alexander and, and Demas, persons referred to in 1 Timothy 4.1 and 2 Peter 2.1, um, it's impossible to show that those people had truly received the grace of regeneration. Or he says, two, or really lost it in their fall and later received it back. He refers there to David and Solomon. We can't really show, did, did, you know, thinking about Solomon especially, when was Solomon saved? And, and that's a, a debate. Was it, was it early in his life? Was it, what, you know, then he, he seems to have fallen away and then he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Was he saved when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes or before that? We don't really know if, if, if they lost their faith and then, and then received it back again. It's impossible to show that. Or number three, or really did receive it, but never got it back. And here they look at Hebrews 6, 4 to 8, Hebrews chapter 10, and uh, 2 Peter uh, as well. And so um, these, are, these are kind of impossibilities. We can't really show that. Um, he says, again, Bavink says, the, all of the above mentioned admonitions and threats that scripture addresses to believers, therefore do not prove a thing against the doctrine of preservation or, or perseverance. They are rather the way in which God himself confirms his promise and gift through believers. These are the means by which perseverance in life is realized. So all of these admonitions and threats that we looked at today, these are the means by which God is going to help true believers to persevere in the faith. Mm-hmm. And so if you're a, a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then, and you've been listening to this podcast, we would just tell you that uh, to heed these verses, continue in the faith, keep trusting the Lord Jesus Christ, keep uh, serving him, keep treasuring him, and, uh, and, and, and heed these warnings. They are the very thing that are going to keep you close to Christ because we know that that if we do fall away, that uh, that that we are lost, yeah. and so I think that's I think that's helpful. I don't, it helps me, yeah. um, and uh, I think it's helpful to kind of look at these other scriptures where n- nobody's losing their salvation, but true believers are going to be kept by the power of God, and evidenced in that, right? With that, I think it is time to wrap it up. We're at an hour and almost twenty minutes here already in this episode. Um, but again, I hope this, uh, episode has been an encouragement to you. Uh, some of these verses and passages that we discussed there, they are hard. Um, but they can offer a hope to those who are truly saved. And once again, as we mentioned earlier, please do listen to the previous episode on eternal security part one as well, as we went through a number of other verses there before going through this one. And if you're listening to it here now, you're at the end of it already. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, please do go back and listen to that. And just with, uh, in closing here, a verse that we opened up with in episode one or, or a thought, Revelation 3.21 says, He who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne. I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And again, we ask the question, who is it he? Who is this person that overcomes? The Apostle John answers that in 1 John 5, verses 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? If you have overcome the world, if you have faith 
in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, and if you are saved and have entered into the promise of salvation, then you are an overcomer in that sense, and the promise of an eternal inheritance is for you as well. And with that, we thank you again for listening. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please do listen or uh, share it and listen to the other episodes as well. And uh, we appreciate you guys taking the time to, to listen to what we have. With that, I say, until next time.